This message comes from Capital One. Your business faces unique challenges and opportunities. That's why Capital One offers a comprehensive suite of financial services backed by the strength of a top 10 commercial bank. Visit CapitalOne.com slash commercial. Member FDIC. The family comedy My Big Fat Greek Wedding was a very big hit back in 2002. So perhaps it was inevitable that the movie spawned a sequel. And now another one we have arrived, of course, at My Big Fat Greek Wedding 3. Writer and director Nia Vardalos is back as Tula. John Corbett is back as her husband, Ian. And this time they're headed to Greece for a family reunion. I'm Linda Holmes, and today we're talking about My Big Fat Greek Wedding 3 on Pop Culture Happy Hour from NPR. Joining me today is a co-host of Slate's ICYMI podcast and former PCHH producer, Candace Lim. Welcome back, Candace. Hi, Linda. It's amazing to see you. I'm so excited. Also with us is NPR correspondent Anastasia Siolkis. Welcome, Anastasia. Hey, Linda. And rounding out our panel is film critic and culture journalist Bidatri D. Chaudhry. Welcome back, Bidatri. Thank you, Linda. Hey, everyone. If you need a refresher, Nia Vardalos wrote the screenplay for the original My Big Fat Greek Wedding, and she also stars as Tula. Tula was unmarried and 30, which was a huge problem for her parents, played by Lainey Kazan and Michael Constantine. But then she met Ian, played by John Corbett, and they got engaged. Her parents were upset because he wasn't Greek. But after a lot of raucous scenes full of arguing and oodles of relatives, Tula and Ian had their happy ending and their big fat Well, you know, in 2016, we got the sequel, My Big Fat Greek Wedding 2, which introduces Tula and Ian's daughter, Paris, played by Elena Camporis. And now we get My Big Fat Greek Wedding 3. Michael Constantine, who played Tula's dad, Gus, died a couple of years ago. Gus has died, too. And in the wake of his death, Tula and Ian and Paris go to Greece for a family reunion. Aunt Thea, played by the great Andrea Martin, comes with them, as do a couple other people. In Greece, a bunch of stuff happens that leads inevitably to another wedding and a lot of beautiful Greek scenery. That's probably as much plot as you need going in, although there is much more. My Big Fat Greek Wedding 3 is in theaters now. I'm going to start with you, Candace. What did you think of My Big Fat Greek Wedding 3? How is How does this land in your world of of such movies mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um guys i cried four times i cried four <laughs> times within four minutes of the movie i <laughs> i will start by saying this i have so much heart for the my bfgw universe because i love nia Vardalos. she is my greta gerwig meaning i just remember watching that first film re-watching during a pandemic and being like oh this is seamless beautiful comedic timing mm. love it yep. and so i was extremely happy to watch this third movie now Now, I don't think it is a myth nor a lie to say that any movie from Universal with a number in it, so let's say a three, might not be the greatest film of all time. I think the first thing I want to note is like this first movie is so seamless. It moves so fast. And so anytime you do a sequel, anytime you do a reboot, the seams and the stitches start showing a little bit. You see where the quilt has been added and shoehorned a little bit. It gets sweaty. But with all that said... For a movie that really reminded me, at least aesthetically, of like Ticket to Paradise or like Mamma Mia Mm -hmm. 1 and 2. It reminds me a lot of Mamma Mia, yeah. Yeah. Like I walked in thinking I'm just going to go for vibes. I'm going to go to see people I love, a.k.a. Andrea Martin, Queen. 
And I have to say, I have like zero complaints. I once again love this cast. I love the chemistry that John Corbett and Nia have. They really kept it tight. I'm really happy. Oh, that's another thing. I'm glad it's 90 minutes. That always makes <laughs> yes. me happy. It is yep. 90 minutes. They do get in and get out. All right. Badatri, what did you think? You know, I had similar thoughts as Candice going in. Um, I really liked the first film. It was fresh, funny. A lot of South Asian immigrant families identified with, you know, the whole trope of this huge family figuring it out together in the U.S. I remember the Windex bit a lot. And um, mm. and in my family, it's Iodex instead or Vicks. Uh, <laughs> all those parts really stuck out the first time around. And also this, this is more of an afterthought. I really like the first film because the heroine doesn't have to go anywhere to find the love story. And this idea of you can be at home and you can get your story, you can get your film, you can get your franchise sitting right here with your mom and dad in their Greek restaurant. That was a beautiful idea to me. Like, you know, it wasn't an Eat, Pray, Love. It wasn't Before Sunrise. I love those films. Mm -hmm, but having mm -hmm. said that, I never looked at that film and went, oh, I think this should be a franchise. There should be parts two, three, four, five. Right. And I stand by that after having watched this third one and rewatched the second recently. But having said that, I also cried Candice because I think it was this <laughs> it was this whole idea of and you know, my family immigrated to India from what is now Bangladesh, what was then East Pakistan, and I've never gone back. So this feeling of going back where your father was a boy, where your grandfather walked around these streets, I think that really got me emotional. Mm -hmm. All right, Anastasia, here's the thing. You have, <laughs> I know, an actual Greek family. I do. I am dying to hear about your relationship with these movies. So I have a complicated, perhaps twisted relationship with this franchise, mm -hmm. um, just because my name sort of instantly brands me to a lot of people's Greek. My family background is super complicated. We're actually from Egypt, not so far from Badatri's story. Uh, my family's partly Greek and partly Middle Eastern, and my father married an American but people are like, oh, this must be just like your family. Mm. On the other hand, this became so much canon for so many people. So I, I understand I harbor certain resentments that I'm trying very hard not to carry. <laughs> That's fair. You know, it's a very sweet movie. I really appreciate what Badatri is saying about, like, finding love at home. Mm -hmm. She had a metamorphosis of sorts in the first film, right? So she was coming into herself in a really sweet way. And she gave herself her own makeover, which I've yeah. always appreciated. Yeah. Mm. Yes. Yeah. A DIY glow up. A DIY yeah. glow up. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, and I feel like Nia Vardalos has had to sort of feel like, I mean, Greece is a tiny country, right? With very little pop culture output that reaches the rest of the world. So I feel like she's in this franchises and the sequels, she's very much like taken on like, I am the voice of the people, mm -hmm. not just for people in Greece, but in the diaspora. And it felt like this film in particular, the third installment was trying to do so many things yeah. for so many audiences. Like there's like the sweet, like love conquers all thing. There's also talking to Greeks in Greece about, the refugee crisis, which is very, very real. Mm -hmm. There's also talking to the diaspora about Greece of today is not the Greece you left behind in 1955 or whenever. So it's trying to do a whole lot of things for a whole lot of people in ways that 
I personally find kind of unsatisfying. Yeah. It's funny. I was not a big fan of the first movie, not in that I didn't like it, but I it wasn't one of the ones that I latched onto, which is kind of funny because I am super attached to a lot of like 90s and aughts romantic comedies. I guess it's partly because I don't think of that movie as actually being that much of a romantic comedy as much as I think of it as a family comedy. Mm-hmm. But having said that, I have a huge amount of respect for what she achieved with this kind of raucous, noisy energy as far as all of these people. I think there is a kind of an over-the-top joy of loud families that she did a really good job of capturing in that movie, which is why as soon as I realized that in this movie only a couple of members of her family were going to go with her to Greece, I was like, Mm. ugh. And in what was for me an unexpected resonance of this movie, I thought, oh, the same thing happened to uh, my big fat Greek wedding three that happened to Magic Mike's last dance. (laughs) Say that. Um, You saw a real deep cut to the number of speaking parts and developed characters, which I fear with this movie has a lot to do with cost cutting, particularly perhaps when you are going to Greece to film, which they did. Mm. So there's this moment where you see like this enormous group of people that you know from the first two movies jammed into a door at the airport. But then most of those people kind of go away. For a lot of the movie, it's a lot more spare in terms of the number of people that are involved in the comedy. So I Mm -hmm. think she loses a bit of that big raucous energy that was part of the joy of the first movie. Um, It reminded me so much of Mamma Mia rather than big crazy family stuff, which I did enjoy. So in that regard, I found it a little sad. And I think Nia Vardalos is maybe a better writer than she is a director. She directed this one and and the sequel. She didn't direct the first one. She's not always the best director of her own writing. There are a few places in this film where there's kind of a button on a scene, mm. and it feels like it's supposed to be a joke. Yeah. The actors treat it like it's a joke, but I was like, that's not a joke, though. Like, I'm not sure she she brings out the best in her own writing. Mm. There is an effort, as Anastasia mentioned, to kind of do a whole lot in this mm. film. Yeah. There is a non-binary character named Victory, who I think is a fun character but who I wish I had I wish had more story mm. and and like a weird hand gesture that they keep oh, doing God. <laughs> that did not land for me either. and that somehow becomes a gag I expected it to pay off in a way it didn't and it's the same thing with you know the the romance here and Anastasia also alluded to this involves um, a Greek a young Greek kid and a young woman who is a Syrian refugee and the the tension in the family, which obviously echoes the tension in the first movie about the Greek versus not Greek, blah, blah, blah. Anastasia, you alluded to that. What did you kind of think about how that romance with the young woman kind of played out? Well, a couple of things. I mean, you mentioned the quirky young non-binary character, if I can start there. I think, again, the first films were so much about this is what traditional Greeks are like. They're very religious. They're very Christian. They're very this and that. It felt very earnest and to me, frankly, performative of like, look, look, we have non-binary people, too, in a way that didn't ring true for me because it just felt really cursory. In terms of the romance, I thought it was sort of this love conquers all aspect to a really thorny issue Hmm. in Greek society. You know, unfortunately, there's a lot of xenophobia. There's a lot of 
political issues around and economic issues for sure. You know, this little country has one of the longest coastlines in the world, and they're pretty much trying to stanch migration on their own. Hmm. Um, so that's really complicated, and to sort of sew it into a storyline of love conquers all is really problematic mm-hmm. for mm-hmm. me. Yeah. The other thing I will say is I feel like Vardalos was not, frankly, very frank in the way she treated this romance. We don't ever find out if, is she a Syrian Muslim? Is she yeah. a Syrian Christian? Yeah. Is she Druze? Oh. She sort of sidestepped what for a lot of people mm-hmm. would be the big issue. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Candace, I want to go back to, you know, you were talking about crying at this movie. What is the stuff in this movie that made you cry? <laughs> because I often think that if I cry at a movie, something is working on me, whether I think it's fully realized artistically or not. So what was kind of working on you in this film? Sure. So I think the most obvious reason I cried is because anytime they mentioned Michael Constantine, who played Gus, Tula's father, and his passing and also his real life passing, tears immediately. Man, I mean, watching back the first and second film, I just kind of realized that he was that center of gravity that really kind of held everything in Tula's life in a certain orbit. And so for me, coming out of this film, I was like, okay, so number one, they really decentered Tula, in my opinion, especially in that first film. You see everything through Tula. So nothing seems like a punch down. Everything, everything just kind of seems like a perspective around Movie two, movie three, you start to see her decenter and start to kind of give every side character a little bit of a storyline, which, by the way, I got to be honest, there are moments in this film where I was like, this is edited like a YouTube movie. The way that you are cutting <laughs> <Yes>. between John, <laughs> John Corbett, none, John Corbett, none. And I was like, wow, there is some editing weirdness <laughs> in this movie that literally I sat in the theater thinking, is this yeah. finished? Yes. Yeah, totally. Truly. Yeah. I know. Truly. I know. I know. Which is wild. But. I think this movie is really about what it feels like on the day-to-day when that center of gravity kind of is lost and just what that feels like from a physical standpoint. And by physical, I mean the fact that in the first two movies, it's a lot about the mass of this family. Mm. Like, there's just so many of them. And and there was a scene here where they have a dinner in Greece and that table is so small. And I kind of just had this moment Mm. of like, oh, it's sinking in that... Like so much has changed from that first film and you really feel that. And I will say this too, you know, Tula's mom in this film is experiencing symptoms of Alzheimer's or dementia, something like that. And, you know, when I was watching back the second film, there's this part where Michael Constantine's talking about his wife and he says something along the lines of, you walk through your life seeing your shadow as two people, you know, you can reach out in the night and that person is there. And then they're not. (laughs) And obviously, Mama (laughs) cried because I was like, she lost her shadow, guys. She lost her shadow. And so Nia writing that, writing all these films and kind of having to grapple with the fact that not only is Michael Constantine not there, but like there's just a lot of characters she couldn't bring with her to Greece. Now, don't be worried, guys. Joey Fatone got on the plane. (laughs) However... I would have asked to kick him off American Airlines style. That's it. Yeah. I do agree with you that, to me, the most effective emotional resonances are about Tula's aging parents and in Mm. the loss of her father Mm. and her mother experiencing, as you said, signs of dementia. That's very resonant, I think, for a lot of people who have older parents. At the same time, you can't really center 
a comedy around those questions as easily as you can. Something that's mm-hmm. like, we're going for a family reunion. Because you kind of know this movie has to end in a big party of some kind. Mm-hmm. And they do yeah. get there in terms of a celebration of Gus's life and that kind of stuff. They keep kind of coming up to that and then kind of skittering away from it because it can't be the center of the movie because it's not the right tone. Mm. So I, I did have that weird feeling that they were coming up to things that were interesting and then sort of backing away from them right away. And look, it would not be fair to talk about this movie without mentioning that as much as I do not expect realistic depictions of anything in this film, there are a bunch of things that happen in this movie where the way people react to them makes absolutely no sense to me, does not seem like (laughs) a way that human beings would ever react to things. They play the whole time like Paris, Tula's daughter, is hiding some major life problem. When you find out what it is, it's like, mm-hmm. okay. They're, they're so, so cool with it. it. John Corbett, by the way, guys, second movie, John Corbett is a high school principal. You think a high school principal would be okay with their daughter having some academic issues? No. No, and also, no. what kind of an immigrant family is this? Like, that would be oh, it I know. for me. That would be it. Spanish. One of the th- other things that they sort of came right up to the edge of and walked away from, and I'm thinking about, is they sort of walked mm-hmm. up to talking about one of the the starting points of this film is that they're going for this reunion and looking for sort of extended family and friends to to be part of this reunion. And it turns out nobody lives in the town anymore. And that's a real issue. There's been total population drain. There's been total brain drain, too. But again, that's sort of like there's no explanation in the film. Why? Why has everyone disappeared? Mm-hmm. And it's essentially sort of danced around. And I'm like, wait, am I the only person missing this? You know? Yeah. Um, but it's another of these instances in which Fidelis has sort of walked right up to that line and then be like, oh, too complicated. Yeah. And then walked right, you know, spun around and walked away from again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think there is this general aversion to complexity in a storyline, which is weird because, you know, I'm generally very queasy about complex political problems being presented as things that can be solved through very personal and unitary actions like love, like acceptance, you know, there's this like, they're just like us, we're all humans. But, you know, this complete refusal to admit that there is a larger, very complex machinery, which is producing hate, which is othering foreigners all the time, Mm. that's bigger than any of these people. And just to not talk about that, I'm like, the film just shies away from anything that can be nuanced and complex. Yeah. And I do want to say one thing about Greece, which I thought was really funny. Now, Greece, there's a lot of beautiful film of water and all that stuff. Mm. But there is a feature that I read, I believe, in Condé Nast Traveler that was about, like, where were the locations for this movie? That area where the village is, that, like, outdoor village that seems like picturesque, very traditional idea of like what a traditional small village would look like. It was basically a theme park. <laughs> oh, wait. Of a Greek of a Greek small <laughs> village. Oh. It is in Greece, but it is essentially a resort built to recollect small Greek villages. Which I thought was hilarious. That's so funny. That's yeah. Oh my. I was like, yeah, everything here feels styrofoam. <laughs> everything here feels a little bit touch and push over. It was amazing. <laughs> uh, well, tell us what you think about My Big Fat Greek Wedding 3. Find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash PCHH. Up next, what is making us happy this week? 
This message comes from NPR sponsor HBO. From executive producers Park Chan-wook and Robert Downey Jr., The Sympathizer is the new HBO original limited series based on the Pulitzer Prize winning novel. On The Sympathizer podcast, host Philip Wynn joins the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen to discuss the making of this historic series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max and listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Support for NPR and the following message come from the American Cancer Society. Dr. Alpa Patel leads a team that researches cancer risk factors, and she shares how her team makes an impact. We always do what we like to think of as actionable science. So the work that we do makes its way to things like nutrition and physical activity guidelines for cancer.org, where millions of people come each year to learn about how they can better prevent cancer. To learn more, go to cancer.org. This election season, you can expect to hear a lot of news, some of it meaningful, much of it not. Give the Up First podcast 15 minutes, sometimes a little less, and we'll help you sort it out what's going on around the world and at home. Three stories, 15 minutes, Up First every day. Listen every morning, wherever you get your podcasts. Now it's time for our favorite segment of this week and every week, What's Making Us Happy This Week. Candace Lim, I am so happy to have you participating in this segment mm-hmm. once again. What is making you happy this week? What's making me happy this week is Married by Mistake on E! Woo! Okay, so E, the network slash channel, they've been doing this weird thing this summer where they've been putting out rom-coms that are basically Hallmark movies but on E, and they're supposed to be like led by a person of color. They're supposed to be kind of progressive and modern, all this stuff. Then I accidentally flipped to the E! channel, and there it is, Married by Mistake. It's a movie about Chloe Bennett. You might know her from Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. She is this person who, like, graduates from business school, and she randomly goes to Vegas and wakes up married to one of her classmates. Ooh. As one does. As one does. And then the classmate <laughs> is like, hey, um, I think we should stay married. And on top of that you should come home with me to Tennessee. And then she's like, wait a minute, your dad owns a supermarket conglomerate and you're the heir to the throne. And so what happens is she ends up getting hired to like make the supermarket chain more progressive, you know, self-checkout. <laughs> and then in walks a boy who she has a little meet cute with. And she's like, whoa, 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 I feel sparks. What's going on? We find out. He's the brother of the person she's fake married to. And that's where I'm going to stop. No way. Can't be. And I have to say, movie, quite well done. Acting, quite wonderful. Chloe Bennett, go off. So I really like this movie. Shockingly, it's very light and airy. And so if you're looking for like a Hallmark Christmas movie, but it's summertime, I do think this is the right vibe. And so you can watch Married by Mistake on Peacock. Wow. It sounds absolutely ridiculous. I am writing it down. Thank you very much. Candace Lim. Oh, yeah. Bidatri, D, Chaudhry, what is making you happy this week? Um, I'm also very on brand like Candace. So in 2019, season one of this TV series called Made in Heaven, the season one came and went in 2019. The chokehold it has on me. <laughs> the second season is out and I haven't started watching yet. But it's already making me happy. So <laughs> that's how excited I am. It's primarily about two friends, Tara and Karan, who run a wedding planning company in Delhi. And the smart thing about this is it markets that whole Indian wedding shenanigan very well. 
And the smartest thing is they do it in a way because they're wedding planners, right? So there's a wedding in every episode. And of course, like, you know, marriage is a sticky, messy subject in India and elsewhere. So they explore everything that is wrong with the society through the lens of these very elaborate and posh weddings. And like I said, season two is out. I haven't started watching it yet, but it's already making me very, very, very happy. So that's Made in Heaven on Prime Video. And we should note that Amazon supports NPR and also distributes some of our content. Thank you, Badatri. Anastasia Siolkas, what is making you happy this week? So I am currently existing in a total purgatory. As we tape this, my kids are still not back to school. Mm. So like (laughs) it is total chaos here all the time. So yesterday I brought my newly not turned nine-year-old son to see Gran Turismo. Mm -hmm. My expectations were extremely low. I figured it was going to be a two and a half hour placement fiesta for Sony, which it was. Mm -hmm. At least 45 minutes of the movie could have been cut for people saying, this is real. This isn't a video game. Um, So, okay. My kid loved it. Everybody else in the theater, except me, were gamers who were clearly rooting so hard for the main character, who is this kid who's grown up playing Gran Turismo and has this magical opportunity, life-transforming opportunity, to become a real race car driver. And all sorts of interesting things ensue. Um, But the most interesting thing to me was a tiny, tiny lesson embedded in that that taught me not to be nearly as cynical as I am. Uh, The main character to chill out and relax before big races would listen to Kenny G. And I'm like, oh, that is that is pernicious and clever. And it turns out the real Jan, the real kid turned race car driver, does indeed love Kenny G and did indeed listen to Kenny G. That was my morality tale for the day, which is don't be such a cynic, Anastasia. Amazing. So... Kind of unexpectedly and not at all on brand for me. That was Gran Turismo, and it definitely was making me happy this week. Love it. I absolutely love it. Thank you very much, Anastasia. Uh, So what is making me happy this week? If we're all on brand this week, I'm also very, very, very on brand. I have been listening to a podcast called 50 MPH, 50 Miles Per Hour, which is a planned 50-part podcast about the making of speed. (laughs) Does 50 episodes sound like a lot to devote to speed, the legacy of speed, the making of speed, the creation of speed? Yes, it does. (laughs) But this podcast, which comes from Chris Tapley, who is an entertainment journalist who has done a lot of different stuff. You know, there are a lot of interviews here from the directors, got the writers, got the uh, some of the actors. Um, I think still hoping that more that there will be a Keanu Reeves and Sandra Bullock opportunity over the course of this podcast coming out. Is it too much? Of course. (laughs) Nevertheless, it is also just enough. Because if you love speed, as I do, there are a ton of fascinating details. And I think, honestly, it's just a really fun podcast that almost justifies the concept that it has, which is absurd. I think, of course, we can all agree. And yet, I'm really excited to keep listening to it again. It's called 50 MPH, 50 miles per hour. And uh, you can find it wherever you get your podcasts. And that is what is um, somewhat inexplicably, but very thoroughly 
making me happy this week. If you want links for what we recommended, plus some more recommendations, sign up for our newsletter. It's at npr.org slash popculturenewsletter. And that brings us to the end of our show. Candice Lim, Anastasia Siolkis, Badatri D. Chaudhry, thanks so much to all of you for being here. This was so fun. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. This episode is produced by Hafsa Fathima and edited by Mike Katzif and Jessica Reedy. Hello Come In provides our theme music. Thank you for listening to Pop Culture Happy Hour from NPR. I'm Linda Holmes, and we'll see you all next week. This message comes from NPR sponsor Viore, a new perspective on performance apparel. Clothing designed with premium fabrics, built to move in, styled for life. For 20% off your first purchase, go to viore.com slash NPR. Support for NPR and the following message come from IXL Online. Is your child asking questions on their homework you don't feel equipped to answer? IXL Learning uses advanced algorithms to give the right help to each kid, no matter the age or personality. One subscription gets you everything. One site for all the kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And NPR listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com NPR. In this country, some truths aren't self-evident. In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, a collection of stories as wide-ranging and real as the people who tell them, we celebrate the Black experience for all its soul and richness. Search NPR Black Stories, Black Truths wherever you get podcasts.